Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. Today, we are once again joined by our good friend and the amazing, wonderful Bridget Todd. Thank you so much for joining us, Bridget. Oh, thanks for having me. Y'all always give me the most warm welcomes. <laughs> I love the intros. Because we're so happy to have you. <laughs> we are so excited to have you. Yes. So, Bridget, do you have any uh, fun things on the horizon? Any plans coming up? Yes. Well, the most fun thing that I have on the horizon is that my partner and I do this thing every uh, holiday season that we call Weirdo Christmas. And we I actually hope, I think that everybody should, should try it out. Uh, Weirdo Christmas is an activity that we do where after Thanksgiving, but before Christmas, we go on our own little solo trip to sort of, you know, have fun before the official holiday season. And we bring costumes and lights and just have a weird time. And it's just a fun way to sort of, if you're if you're from like a traditional family that does Christmas in a very traditional way, it can just be a fun way to counterbalance that. So weirdo Christmas. 2021 coming up. Very excited. Oh, I love it. What kind of costumes you got planned? Mine, the last time I that we did this, I wore a fur hat and a fur vest and fur boots. Uh, it was like a fur theme. Uh, I think I'm going to double down on the fur again. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm into it. I, yeah, I encourage people to like, whatever, you know, your weirdness looks like, just because people are like weirdos or non-traditionalists doesn't mean that we can't also enjoy like, holiday cheer and festivity. And so um, I used to always feel a little alienated around Christmas time. You know, I felt like if I wasn't doing something super traditional around the holidays and like you basically didn't have any way to celebrate. And that's not true because you can always celebrate Weirdo Christmas. I love this. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say like as a person who does not love the holidays in general, doing something completely off the cuff sounds better especially mm-hmm. if you can establish it yourself. Uh, I will say Annie and I seem to do kind of that for New Year's where we dress up as something random. Like I have a couple of onesies that I like to put on and we will cheers each other through whether it's like us pictures or text, but we're wearing costumes. Yes. <laughs> I love onesies. it. Are you going to do it this year? <laughs> Usually, yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. We just kind of like, we give up on going out. Let's do this instead. I think it's because um, New Year's is such a... I've had great New Year's, but generally I feel like the pressure is very intense and it's always a mess. And so I was kind of like, I want to stay in. I'm going to read my fan fiction. And then it became, we'll wear onesies and drink champagne (laughs) at midnight and cheers each other. See, I love that because just because you're not somebody who is interested in spending hundreds of dollars to have a you know, less than stellar night on New Year's Eve doesn't mean that you should get to miss out on like New Year's Eve holiday merriment. Like that's exactly this in the spirit of of Weirdo Christmas that you should like not wanting to do the traditional thing that everybody does doesn't mean that you should just be boxed out of getting to, you know, have festivity and merriment. So I like this. We need to we need to roll in. We'll do Weirdo Christmas, Weirdo New Year's. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a whole slate of we're weirdo gonna, holidays. Like, let's get a calendar going. <laughs> yes. Oh, there we go. I'm gonna be on this Google's calendar. Let's go. I love it. I think we should sell one. <laughs> let's make money off of this. <laughs> um, so I also wanted to, before we dive into this topic, which I'm both very excited and very like 
anxious slash nervous slash angry to talk about. I wanted to talk about, I'm a, I'm a very big gamer. I think a lot of the listeners know that. I've always played video games and I've always played in quotes, traditional video games being like Nintendo, Super Nintendo, PlayStation, like those kind of console video games. And I have a lot of history and experience with that. But I, I wanted to ask the both of you what your experience with gaming at large, not just console gaming, is. I've always thought that was the, one of the coolest things about you, Annie, is how into console gaming you are. I wish that I was. I aspire to be. I, I don't really play much these days. When I was younger, I really liked World of Warcraft. Uh, going back even further, I was very much into like Super Nintendo. Um, when the when the pandemic first started, we got one of those. I guess what do you an emulator? I don't know what you call it, but yeah. like to be able to play old uh, Sega games and old Super Nintendo games on our TV. And I remember, I was like, oh my gosh, how much I loved, how much I loved and was obsessed with those growing up. Uh, but these days, not not so much. I'm I'm so curious, uh, Sam, what your relationship to to gaming has looked like. Um, I would be the boomer who did not understand and does not understand these games to the point that I still ask both Annie and my partner. I'm like, okay, so the point of this game is A, B, C, D, and then just <laughs> sit there and look at them puzzled. Uh, I do this a lot because um, I still have to ask, especially when it comes to console games, a lot of questions. I never really grew into that, really cared about it much growing up. I did buy a Switch during the pandemic because I was like, oh, well, I can play these games. So these games being Mario Party, where essentially it's just kind of a chance and I get very mad at everyone uh, about it because they all cheat, I'm pretty sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, Mario Kart, same thing. I do like to announce how many times I fall off because, again, I don't quite understand the buttons. Uh, same thing with any of those kind of things. But I do enjoy it to an extent until I'm frustrated that I'm like, I don't know what y'all are doing. You keep telling me to push button this, this, and this. That doesn't make sense. My, my fingers don't do this. So <laughs> that's how I feel about those games. But I've tried. I've, got, I've grown to like them more and more. But I am more of a phone game person. And I always have. I did really enjoy, I guess the really first big game that I played, and I know we're going to talk a little bit about them, was Candy Crush that has since been taken off to make room for uh, games that are the puzzle games that have narrative in it. And, and we've talked about it previously uh, on a Monday Mini because those damn ads that we talked about <laughs> that has those dramatic leaving somebody, cheating on somebody, murdering somebody apparently um, had really reeled me into being like, what is this game? I need to know. <laughs> and to the point that I've tried to reel Annie in on at least one, uh, we talked about Lily's Garden. And uh, Bridget, if you have a chance, I need you to play this game as well. <laughs> oh, I'll Go play. Get it on Not a phone. sponsor. Not a sponsor. <laughs> Not a sponsor. And it was created by uh, a woman. So the, a woman did this whole game and she did all of the programming behind it. And you can kind of tell by the relationships in it. So I'm like, huh, it is definitely different than the other games where it's just like, oh, this girl looks like like your typical uh, white sorority girl who has all these stereotypes attached to her talking to a cute white boy. And I think that's this. This one is a little different. And I was like, well, and now I'm really caught up in it. So that is my gaming expertise. And Annie had to tell me that this was gaming because I was like, uh, no, I don't, I don't, what? I don't know what you're talking about. I yes. just play on my phone. Yes. So, I mean, that's so funny. Where do you think this idea that playing if you if you like quote just play on your phone that you're not actually gaming like 
Where did that attitude come from? I think it came from, let's see if I can condense this. Oh, no. So in the 80s, uh, toys were gendered and video games were coming out at that time and they got put into boys' toys because the marketers at the time thought um, that they would have more success in that category. It fit more into that category. And so it became a like boys' arena and... Therefore, like any girl entering into that space, and I speak from experience, was seen as sort of like an anomaly and like, why are you coming in here? This is like, are you trying to trick us into thinking that you're good or look how cute she thinks she can do this? Or like, once you get older, are you trying to get a date? And so I think it became a very like boys space. And so that became serious gaming. And so when phone games came out and everybody who had a phone had more access to it, and especially women were coming in and playing, that became like, that's frivolous gaming. That is not gaming. I, I being the boy who has grown up with this, <laughs> um, I am the serious gamer and this is what gaming is. I think it's another example of gatekeeping around that. That makes me so sad. It is very tragic. <laughs> I will say I am in level 3,000 something. Look at this. This is game. a pro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got a pro on here. <laughs> you should demand respect. <laughs> I demand respect. Yes. And I, this is what I do rather than spending time with people. <laughs> well, and just to add to that before we get into this, for a long time, the kind of running commentary around this has been most gamers are men, but when you add in phone games, like games, in my opinion, but yes, phone games, then it, it does skew towards women. But as in the last two years, I believe, even, uh, quote, serious gaming or console gaming, more women uh, play than men. So I think we really got to mm-hmm. reframe our thoughts around what a gamer looks like. Definitely. And I think it it really speaks to sort of the dark arts of marketing. You see this all over tech where the demographic that is being marketed to and thus sort of creating this perception of they're the main, the the biggest demographic, like that, that has done so much bad stuff in terms of making these different industries and across technology look like who, who is, who actually makes them up, like who is actually in them. And so even while women are, are making up this lion's share of people who are gaming, marketing still would have you believe that that's not true, right? The way that we, the way that we, our perceptions of it is still so warped and it doesn't actually, you know, align with the reality of who is actually in this demographic. Right, and I think even in the games that are getting made and how women are portrayed in a lot of those games, it would very much lead you to believe that men are the intended audience and the preferred audience. Let's talk about what you brought today, Bridget, as infuriating as it is, very important to talk about, and really ongoing situation, which is what is going on with Activision Blizzard. Yeah, so I'm so glad that you grounded this in the idea that it is ongoing. This is a current conversation. Uh, the I, I It first came on my radar over the summer, um, but it is completely ongoing and and just last week, you know, new updates in it. So essentially the gaming company Activision Blizzard, they're under fire for allegations the company has fostered a really toxic workplace where their women staffers are 
mistreated and harassed and are just not treated equally. And last week, new reporting from the Wall Street Journal has really shed new light on these allegations. And, you know, last week, the staff has been mobilizing. They had a walkout. And so I think, you know, when we think about different arenas and technology, you, some, some people who don't game might be listening to this and think like, oh, well, big deal, who cares? But particularly as more and more young people are finding themselves on online worlds and online platforms built by, by you know, gaming companies, it is really important to think through like, how are, these, how are these games where so many young people are spending their time? How do they come to be? What kind of cultures are they coming up in? Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I think this, this story is such a big deal. Um, Activision Blizzard is also just a big deal as a company. They're a major gaming company. They produce Candy Crush, Call of Duty, Overwatch, and World of Warcraft, so major games. And uh, it's probably, I think it's, I think it, in 2018, at least, it was the biggest uh, gaming company in both the United States and Europe. So, like, not only is it an important story in terms of the culture these games are being produced in, it's also a major business story because we're talking huge global companies and the climates that these big companies foster can really make a difference in the industry and, like, what the industry is like. Yeah, they're they're hugely influential. They make, like, billions and billions of dollars. And, yeah, having such a big player in that space does ripple out and impact all these other um, players in that space. And I know, like, I've read some of the stories of people, um, women who have worked at these companies, and it's just horrific. And to, like, have them be so excited because they grew up playing games or they it was really important to them and to be so excited to get this opportunity. And then it's just awful, the amount of harassment uh, they faced, which have started coming out over the past few years, right? Yeah, so um, there was a two-year investigation but concluded in July. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing filed a lawsuit over the summer alleging sexual discrimination, harassment, and like a general kind of frat boy culture at Activision Blizzard. And the investigation found that the company discriminated against female employees in both terms and conditions of employment, um, including compensation, assignment, promotion, and termination, and that company leadership consistently failed to take steps to prevent discrimination, harassment, and retaliation. And like you were saying, when you get into some of the specific stories of the kinds of things that went on here, like one of the allegations that was made was that the men at the company would often do these things called cube crawls in which male employees would drink copious amounts of alcohol as they crawl their way through various cubicles in the office and engage in inappropriate behavior toward female employees. Like, imagine if that was just the thing that happened in your workplace, right? That, oh, just it's Thursday. Obviously, the male staffers are all going to get really drunk and crawl on their hands and knees into my office and harass me while I'm trying to work. Like, some of the allegations are, that have come out are just so horrifying. And it's like, I can just, just like what you were saying, I can imagine being so excited to work at a company that is so influential in the gaming space and then get there and be like, oh, actually I have to put up with the most degrading behavior just to do my job here. Right. It sends a really clear message of whether, like the company culture and who belongs and who doesn't and like what the kind of status quo, how they view you <laughs> is someone who it's okay to harass, like your job is not important um, or that you are kind of that outlier that, you know, why are you here? Is it to get, get a man or to, just for us to, to kind of ogle and harass at your job? Okay. 
Right. Yeah. I'm thinking like, I wonder how much it took for them to even get an interview to go through how, and we've talked about how in general women, when they apply for anything, they have to be sure, like they are 120% qualified before they even attempt it. So making sure that they are able to prove that they can work there and then going through all of the hoops because they have to do so much more than men typically. And within a business like this, you have to do even more to prove that you are worthy and knowledgeable of these things. And then coming into there and being dismissed as if you were an intern, not that interns should be treated this way either, but it essentially as if you're coming to learn instead of being a professional and being like, hey, I'm here, and then watching this non says like I would I, that makes me want to throw things for sure <laughs> yes it's yes. infuriating and there are, that some of the details coming out I'm just like wow somebody somewhere thought this was acceptable like um in one example an Activision employee had for years just signed his email signature 1-800-ALL and you know in this in this uh Wall Street Journal podcast that broke these broke these new allegations she makes this good point, you know. So if you're a woman, you would get an email and just be like, this is normal. It is normal to get an email that has this sign-off. Um, and then to make things worse, this employee worked there for a month, right? Like, they, they took a month for them to fire this employee. And, and they had an investigation. And part of me is like, what was there even to investigate? Like, right. what did that investigation even look like? Right. <laughs> you're like, it's right there. Here's the email. Either go ahead and discipline them or wh- why are we waiting a month? Right. Um, And then, like, the saddest thing is, this is pretty sad. So, like, if you're someone who, you know, has a a difficult time talking about suicide, I'm I'm sorry to report that this is something that happened. Um, The suit also points that a female Activision employee died by suicide while on a company trip with her male supervisor. The employee had been subjected to intense sexual harassment prior to her death, including having nude photos of her passed around at a company holiday party. And... You know, I think that just really underscores the seriousness of what was going on and the seriousness of the of the toxic culture that was happening at Activision that somebody died by suicide with in regards to it. Yeah. Yeah. And and because as we said, this is ongoing, like it's not like something happened, something tragic like this happened and and then they fixed it. It was right oh, you know, we've known this has been going on. This is sort of the accepted culture. Let's move on from this. And that's been one of the most frustrating, like all of it's really upsetting, but that's been one of the most frustrating things is it's like all of these instances over and over and over. And it seems that they just really could care less. They're like, all right, let's just wait for this publicity to blow over. It'll be fine. And we'll continue as as we've done. And that's acceptable to them. Yeah, that is the message that I think they're putting out. I think just, just like you, when I heard about this uh, employee who died by suicide, I thought, certainly this will be this like it's obvious to anyone that big changes are necessary. A change in leadership, a change in culture. This is not the kind of thing that I think training or you know, bringing in a counselor is going to help. And then I was really surprised to see that, you know, initially the company was saying, like, these reports aren't true. It just showed it just showed me that they weren't taking it very seriously. So when these allegations first surfaced in the summer, Activision CEO Bobby Kotick, he denied the allegations, saying that the lawsuit allegations were inaccurate, adding that the picture that the lawsuit paints is not the Blizzard workplace of today. But the staff really say otherwise. And so... A lot of them put the blame 
squarely on his shoulders as like the CEO of this company, the, C- the person who is overseeing all of this like really toxic stuff. And what's really upsetting to me is that initially Bobby Kotick was denying that he had any knowledge of this kind of conduct happening, right? Uh, he was like, I, I, I have no awareness of this. I didn't know this was happening. And it wasn't until after this lawsuit came out that uh, in October, he eventually apologized to the staff and agreed to pay $18 million in settlement with federal regulators and pledged to take steps to improve how the company treats employees. Uh, and so you might think, you know, okay, like that's the end of the story. Like they paid the money, they apologized, they pledged to do better. But this is why the story is continuing because the Wall Street Journal reported that not only did he know about this behavior, he was an active participant himself in this behavior. Um, and so what's really funny is that in his kind of apology tour, he was like, now Blizzard is going to have a zero tolerance policy against this kind of behavior. But that he had to specifically note that that policy was not inclusive of his own behavior. He was like, oh, well, <laughs> it's zero tolerance, but like, not for me. <laughs> right. I'm a CEO, so, you know. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, and I mean, I know, like, um, players have, have kind of spoken out and, you know, set, done, like, strikes where they won't play, and uh, the workers have spoken out, but still, still, uh, <laughs> this guy is still around, despite, like, a lot of allegations coming out against him. Oh, yes. So some of the allegations against him specifically, according to the Wall Street Journal, over the years, Mr. Kotick himself has been accused by several women of mistreatment, both inside and outside of the workplace. In some instances, he has worked to settle those complaints quickly and quietly. So a couple of the specific allegations. In 2006, he reportedly harassed one of his assistants, including threatening in a voicemail to have her killed. Oh, my gosh. Imagine if your boss was like, I'll have you killed. You know? <laughs> it's like... No. <laughs> it, it's shocking. Yes. Yes. I mean, a lot of... It's one of those things when you read about this that there's almost a part of you that's like, this can't be real. But in the back of your head, you're like, no. Unfortunately, I think it is. <laughs> I mean, this is kind of like a big part of narcissists that get power. You see these levels, like they, they think they're uh, untouchable. As well as the fact that, no, just saying that is actually a felony. That is a felony. Uh, but congratulations, you have money, and I'm, I'm assuming he's white. You can move he on. He is. Oh, yeah. he is. It's <laughs> funny because he's almost like, in some of these reports, he kind of comes off as like a mega wealthy, like mega powerful supervillain. Uh, you know, in t- 2007, he allegedly told a private jet flight attendant who was suing him for sexual harassment committed by his pi- the pilot of his private jet, I'm going to destroy you. I feel like telling a flight attendant on your private jet, I'm going to destroy you, is some like Mr. Burns level, (laughs) powerful, narcissist, run amok with power and money stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I can just imagine like, if he, you know, has played video games that he sees himself as like the hero of this story or like the powerful... I can do anything because I've like ascended every level in this video game that is this company that I run and I can right. treat people however I, I want. Yeah. In my mind, I'm seeing like a Harvey Weinstein of this uh, industry because that's exactly what he would do with women that would just say no to him. And in my 
mind, this seems to be what he is doing with women. Uh, if he's threatening them and willing to go to harm them, whatever, they, there's no telling what he has actually done that people are not speaking out about yet. That's such a good point. And I, I think the Harvey Weinstein comparison is apt. And I do think that the kind of things that he's being accused of, I think really illustrate a just a, a, a particular kind of view of women that women are around to serve you and to do whatever you want them to do. And that the idea that like a woman would say no to you, the idea that a woman who works on your private jet would sue you for the behavior of your, of your pilot, you know, I, I think that the way that he responds to these women, it, it just really illustrates a very particular kind of view of women just as there to be in service of powerful men, regardless of what their actual role is um, in the organization. And so another thing to point out is that I believe the only, so like in terms of that voicemail where he told his assistant that he would have her killed, he's through a spokesperson, he said uh, that he immediately apologized for that incident and that he, that he regretted it. I think the only reason that he said that is because it's on a voicemail. I think that if, if there was not, you know, audio of him saying it, so you can't deny it, he, I don't think he ever would be like, oh yeah, I definitely said that. I regretted it. I apologized, you know, this, that, and the third. I think the only reason he did that is because she, you know, if it's a voicemail, you have proof. Right, right. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, again, this is like my very personal experience, but I have had a lot of run-ins with some real nasty gamer bros. And I feel like a lot of like what you were saying, Bridget, of like seeing women in a certain way. I think there's a lot of like really um, condescending, like, oh, she's so cute. Oh, she's so cute. She thinks she can, like, threaten me or she thinks she can come into this world. Like, I'm all, she's only here because I'm letting her be here. Mm. If, she ignore, if she annoys me, if she does something I don't like, then, like, I will threaten her with violence. <laughs> like, immediately get her out or find a way to silence her. Because, um, yeah, I do think a lot of it is, like, she only exists here because I allow her to exist here, which is very, very toxic and gross. <laughs> I mean, how do you even, as a gamer yourself, how do you continue to show up and put yourself out there, even if you're playing with someone who seems accommodating and nice and, like, maybe they're, like, you know, a feminist, but to know in the back of your head, if I do something that he doesn't like, he could flip on me and turn on me and I would, I would see this other side. How do you continue to show up and put yourself out there knowing this? <laughs> Ooh, um... Yeah, I mean that's that's the what really breaks my heart about a lot of this um because I stopped online gaming when I was 12 because I had I already at that point received enough threats and harassment that it was not worth it for me and it became such a scary experience and I I know that this has changed but for a while like the Xbox Live guidelines had a bullet point in there that was like if you're being harassed, you can leave, essentially. Like, not addressing the problem, but being like, uh, you know, it's going to happen, so too bad. I do still I do still play, but it's much more like I play by myself or with friends that I know. I do have, when I was in college, I went to a technical college, and um, I entered a Super Smash Brothers tournament, and I won $500, oh. but... Every other competitor, which you can all bet they were all men, and some of them were my friends, did flip out on me. And they were like, you cheated. There's no way she could not have one. That is impossible. And 
I was like, I mean, people were watching, man. <laughs> like, I didn't cheat. You just didn't think I was a threat, so you didn't come at me, and you all died. <laughs> right. They all killed each other, which was my tactic, yeah. but it doesn't work because I fall <laughs> off anyway. Uh, but, you know, we talked about the story actually just uh, this weekend, Annie and I, and just talking about how men in general in these gaming worlds really don't see women as threats, or if they're threats, it's because they are too sexual and or something, or for their gaze, so for the male gaze in general. Uh, and I was thinking about that with, like, feminist frequency. They were established because they're trying to protect the women in this industry and those who are non-binary or those who identify as women. Like, they are really trying, but even to this day, and when I look at when they do fundraisers or when they have, like, uh, things live, the amount of harassment just for existing to help women is incredible. And the amount of just trolls coming at them today when I'm like, oh my God, have you not been listening to the fact that the growing number of women who are, love gaming, A, B, who are actually here helping you, whether it's helping programming these new games that you're really into and developing these new characters that you're really into, but yet you don't want to acknowledge that it. it's such a whole level of like, why? Why do you hate women so much? Why does this industry continue to foster a, a place of hate against women? Because things like Twitch is still having complaints about, hey, you need to control the level of harassment that is happening, but you, because of you being silent, nothing is happening. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it speaks to, to Annie's point about this idea of like, if you don't like it, you can leave. I think that there's a, a misconception that women who game are sort of putting themselves in a position to be harassed, and if they don't want to be harassed, they should leave. And it leaves out this idea of like, well, women shouldn't have to be harassed just to play games, right? And I think that for a lot of these women who work at Activision, I think the attitude is, you know, you're working at a, at a bro-y video game company, what did you expect? Like, it really puts the onus on people who have been harassed and survivors to get themselves out of situations that they should not be in in the first place. And I think that's exact. it's like a cultural attitude that really blames survivors and blames victims for, you know, systems that they did not create that leads to them being harmed. And, you know, it, it is, Sam, to your point, I, I do think that we all know that games are better, more inclusive, more interesting when they're built by inclusive teams. And so your product can only be more engaging if women are around to help design it. Like you were talking about how Lily's Garden is a more fun game for you because you can tell it was, you know, put, put together by a woman. And it's better than the games where you can tell it's designed by a team of men who probably don't know any women and, you know, have no sense of like what a woman is going to want from a game like this, right? And so we know that things are better when women are, are included and valued and supported and championed. And it makes me sad that the gaming industry just can't get it together to, you know, reflect that reality. You know, the biggest question to me is like, if you are a company that wants to grow and truly are looking to make money, why wouldn't you want more people? If you're all, do you really want to just cater for half the population when you can have the whole population? Hello? I really think they hate women that much. Honestly, I don't think they want them in their audience. And I say that as someone who loves games. And I played plenty of games made by women who were great and really inclusive. And I played games made by men that are great and really inclusive. But I feel like the industry at a whole, especially this like console gaming level, they are so resistant to it. And they're just like, 
I think they don't like, they don't want women in their audience because they, they think it'll demean the value of their product. And I think also they're so afraid of pissing off. They're very angry. Because this is another note I want to make. When they like harass you, it's like threats to kill you or rape you. It's not like, right. hey, you suck. It's like, I'm going right. to find your address and send it to people. Like, right. it's scary. <laughs> it jumps to this, I'm going to rape you and harm you in a way that I know is going to violate you and make you know that I'm a man. Right. Which is in itself a whole level that... Honestly, all of this just, again, kind of talks about, when you, when you were talking about this industry in general, uh, about being a frat club or a good old boy club. And I see that continuously when you see the higher-ups being just friends of theirs, coming up with the same damn attitude that may have a lesser record or the lesser known record than the previous person, which is so, like, then you're just fostering, once again, more of this nastiness that you are saying you want to prevent now. Oh. I completely agree. It's such it's such a vicious, toxic cycle. Uh, I don't actually know if I believe that some of these places can be reformed or improved without massive structural changes. Like reading the Blizzard statement, where they're like, "Oh, we're bringing in a counselor. Or we're bringing in a uh, you know, we're going to do more training." I don't think that these men need to be trained to know that. Signing your emails one eight hundred is not professional. I don't. I don't think. I don't think that that's going to cut it. I don't think that like a training is going to be the thing to to you know help men in this company understand that crawling into your female coworker's office while drunk to harass her is not acceptable workplace behavior. And so I'm really curious if this can all be improved. But it sounds to me so toxic from the very very top. You know the CEO to the guys who are playing the games, threatening to murder you, and the platforms being like, that's okay, that is, that is you know, if that, that's part of gameplay. If you don't want to in, be involved in that, don't play the game. Like, there are just so many levels to how bad it is that it can be very dismaying. Right. And I do wonder, too, like, when you talk about them saying, we're going to bring in counselors, we're going to teach these tactics, and we're going to talk about, you know, workplace safety and all this. But I'm like, who are you really keeping safe? If the people that have made this place unsafe still exist there, then who are you truly keeping safe? It's not the victims. The victims have to be there with them. The victims who have been threatened by these people or harassed by these people or continually told, you know, all of these nasty comments— by these people, and all you're doing is keeping them there, those perpetrators, and you're like, but we're going to help them and spend money on them. Who are you keeping safe? And that's, that's like a common thing up and down tech that I cannot stand, where even when somebody is like confirmed to be a harasser or an abuser or, you know, somebody who's abused their power, a lot of times these companies will go out of their way to praise them or give them like lucrative pa exit packages on the way out the door, and I, it makes me, it like boils my blood, it enrages me. So uh, a former Blizzard technology chief, Ben Kilgore, was fired in 2018 after an investigation into multiple allegations of sexual harassment, but he was thanked, quote, for his many contributions over the last four and a half years uh, in an email by his then boss. And what kind of message does that send? Somebody who is fired for sexual harassment, uh, not like, clearly the company was like, okay, these, you know, this happened. We have to take action to fire him. Is it really necessary to praise him on the way out? And what kind of signal do you think that is sending to the people that he harassed and the people who have to work there after he leaves? 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. I get some extra money, and he did a great job. <laughs> Just ignore all that other stuff. It's cool. And this was, like, in the face of, uh, wasn't it 30 employees saying that they had experienced some type of harassment? That's right. So in, in 2020, 30 female employees um, in their esports department sent an email to the department head saying that they had been subject to unwanted touching, demeaning comments, exclusion from important meetings, and unsolicited remarks about their appearance. And again, uh, Kotick was aware of this email because he was one of the people who got this email. And so him saying publicly, like, I'm not aware of any of these obligations. I've never seen anything like this in my company, blah, blah, blah. It's just a lie. It's a way to save face. And it, to me, makes it seem as though the company is not really invested in or interested in cleaning any of this up. They're interested in making a PR problem go away and interested in uh, making shareholders feel good and feel, you know, like the company is in good hands. I don't think they actually care about the fact that their they're people in their employ are, are going through this just to do their jobs. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I feel like uh, a lot of it to me, gives the vibe of, like, really actually wanting to hold on to this culture and the way they've been able to treat women and believing. And so far, very unfortunately, it seems that it's working, that that people will just forget it and move on. That's not to say the employees haven't been really, uh, especially lately, like, coming together and speaking out, which is amazing, and I really appreciate it, and I know how hard that is. Um but yeah, I, I've I've felt like their whole thing is at least the higher ups are like, it's, I'd want to continue as is. Let's just wait for this to blow over. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, and you know, to your point about it seems like they want to keep this culture. You said something earlier that kind of sparked something in my mind, which is we know that the most extreme, violent gamer dudes out there are like pretty scary and pretty like. I guess, very into the things that they're into. And we've seen before when that, when those, when folks like that feel like something that they are entitled to is taken away from them. I, you know, there are so many different instances in pop culture when they made a reboot of Ghostbusters with women, like they're taking Ghostbusters away from me. When Star Wars casts women and people of color, it's like, oh, this institution that is mine is being taken away from me. Part of me wonders if they feel like they don't want to make significant changes to this toxic, misogynistic culture precisely because they want their core, the people that they're thinking of as their core user base, they want them to feel like, yeah, this toxic soup of, of culture that we've created here is still yours. Like, like no one is coming to like wokeify your video games at, at Blizzard. Like we will continue to foster misogyny and extremism and violence. That's a guarantee. You know what, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I I think there is something to that. I think there is some kind of like wink wink thing happening of like uh to their very angry, generally white male player base. You know, we're not going to give in to these feminists or these social justice warriors like you know, we'll say something out loud. We'll do like a publicity thing, but between us it's going to be fine. We're not going to mess with anything and we're going to keep providing you just for you, the entertainment. And as long as women are quiet and know their role, then they can come in. But otherwise, they're not welcome here. 
I do. And think if they have something. any problem with it, they can just leave. Oh, exactly, exactly. Any problem at all, like, well, then leave. It's fine. Uh, Samantha knows I, I one of my favorite games that came out recently, The Last of Us 2, had featured a woman in the main role, mostly women. <sighs> Gamer dudes hated it. They hated it. And they sent like death threats to all the voice actors, to all the creators. So it's not just like it's the player, it's impacting the player, but it's also impacting like companies and games that are trying to show these other stories. And that's just another way of silencing and and keeping it like no, it has to look this way and very gatekept. And and if so, you will receive a death threat. <laughs> like, it's just very, it's a very toxic space in a lot of ways. It makes me so sad that, you know, companies like Activision are so big that they really can, like what they do can dictate the rest of the industry. And like you said, it's a top-down thing. And so we're talking voice talent, we're talking designers, we're talking women who write about games. We're talking like, but the, the impact that it can have when a major player cultivates this kind of toxicity and misogyny, I think, really knows no bounds. And I'm really heartened to see staffers, you know, speaking up, folks within the company speaking up. On November 17th, a group of shareholders uh, led by union pension group, the SOC Investment Group, called for the resignation of Activision CEO Bobby Kotick um, and the retirement of two other members of the board. Um, and the letter was also signed by, you know, various kind of investment groups which focus on supporting women across industries. And um, the, like, rank-and-file staff themselves are really speaking up, trying to get Kotick to resign. Um, advocacy group ABK Workers Alliance recently published a document signed by 500 employees calling for Kotick's removal as CEO um, they said, we, the undersigned, no longer have confidence in the leadership of Bobby Kotick as CEO of Activision. And they walked out uh, in mass to, to protest this. And I know that that is not easy. It's not easy to speak up in a company like this where it's already been documented that retaliation is a thing that happens. And so kudos to these employees who are doing that. But it seems like for right now, unfortunately, the board is sticking with this CEO. You know, they said that they have confidence in him. And I think this is where things get a little bit businessy because at a certain point, you know, you have these investors and shareholders in your company. And it's like, I can understand why this guy's leadership is not inspiring confidence in your investment in this, in this company. And it's like, at a, like, I agree with you that they're, they're doing some sort of wink, wink, nod, nod thing. But I think that they, are, they should be beholden to their stakeholders and to the, the staff who have to deal with this environment that they're cultivating. And it's like, I guess I wonder where, when does any kind of accountability come in? Like, who are you accountable to? And if not now, when? Yeah, and I think that was one of the most galling things for the employees, but also people who uh, have just been watching the situation is that they seem so out of touch with the statements they released after the walkout. Like, they clearly were kind of, like, not getting the point or purposefully skirting around the point. And then, like, there's a whole... I don't have time to go into it right now, but they, there was a woman who was in charge of like the White House communications during Bush and the Iraq War. Uh, she was in charge of the women's uh, <laughs> gaming board there of like making sure that their voices were heard. And she was like, she tweeted something that was called the problem with whistleblowing while all this was happening. <laughs> <We're> like, uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so you're not really listening to us. Cool, cool. And like, we've gone over some names already, but there were already like, those are not the only names of men at this company that have done really horrible things. Yeah, so it it is like, like you said, it is, it feels very overwhelming and it's so frustrating. I think we recently did an episode where there's a, a new survey came out, some new research came out and showed that like over the past 10 years, the situation's actually gotten worse um, in terms of representation in video games. I think this was specifically characters and storylines and stuff, but that's... <laughs> it just, it does feel like a lot and it feels like we aren't making a lot of progress. And I'm happy to see people speaking up about it. I'm glad we're talking about it, but yeah, it's with so much work to be done. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's sad that it doesn't seem like a lot is improving. This month, the Anti-Defamation League released a new study that shows that 62% of young gamers experience abuse or harassment while playing games. Five out of six adults ages 18 to 45 experience harassment in online multiplayer games, uh, representing 80 million adult gamers. Three out of five young people, uh, that's 60%, ages 13 to 17 experience harassment in online multiplayer games. Uh, and 71% of adult online multiplayer gamers experience severe abuse including physical threats, stalking, and sustained harassment. So precisely the kind of thing that you were talking about dealing with when you were playing these kinds of games. And this is, again, not surprising. The largest increases in identity-based harassment occurred among adult respondents who identified as women, Black or African-American, and Asian-American. And so it's just bad. It doesn't sound like a, like a safe environment. And I think given that so many young people are having formative experiences in these environments, these companies owe it to them to figure out a way to foster safety and actual community in the gameplay experience, but also in the in the companies and the boardrooms where these games get made. Like it, it all, it all to me is kind of one big bucket. And I, I really think like the industry has got to make some very, very big changes if anything is going to get better. Yeah. And I, I would like to add on here because I think sometimes this gets lost in this discussion. But, you know, you hear in the media all the time, like, video games are bad for your brain or might cause violence. There's actually been a lot of studies that show um, they can help with things like PTSD. They can they have positive impacts. And, and I know listeners have written in and said, you know, for one reason or the other, I have social anxiety or, or whatever the case may be. And I really found this online community and it was so important for me. And this gaming was so important for me. In, in helping with whatever it is. And so, like, all of this is bad and we should fix it. But all, it also does have, like, real... As I feel like we always make this point, and I think it's always important to make, but it, there's real-world impacts of these things on your health and on your the communities you can form and even how you feel about yourself. Um, so I do think, yeah, this is really, really important conversation. Right. And I, I just want to add this because I was looking it up. I wanted to see, as you were talking about the board is supporting uh, Kotek, and I'm like, so how many women are on the board? There's two. One just recently <laughs> of 2020, uh, so not surprising. But then on top of that, a new article saying that their solution, instead of having him resign, is to do a new committee uh, that does a workplace responsibility committee, and they're going to watch over the workplace and then talk to the directors who Kotick is a part of. He's a director on this board. So you're like, wait, they're not even looking. Why are they looking so far right when this, the problem is right in front of them? And this is their solution? Fantastic. <laughs> Way to not read the room, guys. Way to <laughs> not read the room. 
that's the other title for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's so absurd. It's like, I, I honestly think, like, parting ways with their CEO is, like, the least they can do. <laughs> Spending right. more money and more time and more investment in, like, creating these kind of BS, toothless committees to do nothing, I think is just, it, it just shows how, how they're not meaningfully in, interested in, like, actual change. It's just like a, like a Band-Aid and not even a good Band-Aid at that, you know? Right. <laughs> it's literally like, hey, they have told you what the problem is. This is the problem. Why are you doing non-work <laughs> to be like, oh, we, we don't know what the problem is, so we're going we're gonna to put another committee? When they're like, no, it's clear. There's a petition. They've told you what could help to resolve what? Yeah, don't y'all read the Wall Street <laughs> Journal? Because there's a whole thing in here about, what, about what's going on. Like, save your money, just buy a paper. <laughs> I mean, this is the obvious when you're talking to Annie of like, oh, no, okay, we're just going to pretend like we don't understand and then sweep it under the rug and then move on. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I have so many thoughts on this. Oh, my. Um, but... <laughs> we should wrap it up for now. Um, <laughs> thank you, as always, Bridget, for coming. Where could the good listeners find you? Oh, thank you for having me. This is always such a treat. Uh, if you're interested in more discussions on the internet, technology, and how women and people who identify as women show up in those spaces, you can check out my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet. We just did a really interesting couple episodes all about the Astro World tragedy uh, in Houston. So uh, some truly... Uh, wild conspiracy theories coming out of there. So we have a really interesting episode with a researcher debunking them. Uh, so please check it out. And you can follow me on Twitter at Bridget Marie or on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. Yes, and definitely do that if you haven't already, listeners. And Bridget, happy weirdo Christmas. <laughs> Thank yes. you. Please send us pictures. Yes. I will. A happy weirdo Christmas to one and all. Yes, yes. Thank <laughs> you for introducing us to this holiday. And thank you, listeners, for listening. If you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stephmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stuff I've never told you or on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've never told you production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 